Hey everyone, and welcome back to the 20 Minute Marketing Podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode 65, and I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Liam from Reach Interactive, and I invite guest experts to join us on the show every week to talk about things like SEO, content marketing, paid ads, and more. So this week's episode is going to be really interesting because we are talking about technical SEO. So I think part of the challenge today is that we cover so many different topics on the podcast that we've now collected listeners from lots of different areas in marketing. So I don't want to create any episodes that are too technical for generalist marketers, but I also don't want to make it too light for people that do specialize in a specific area, which in today's case is tech SEO. So I'm going to try and do my best to find a balance, and I've been waiting for the right guest to tackle the subject with. Um, And now here we are. So I'm joined by Mark Williams-Cook, who is the director at Kanda, which is an amazing web and digital marketing agency based in Norwich. Mark is also the founder of alsoask.com, which is a free website that allows users to see the questions that people ask on search engines. So it's a great tool for keyword research, and I'd recommend adding it to your library. And on top of that, Mark is also the organizer at Search Norwich, and he hosts a podcast too called Search with Kanda, which I listen to on a regular basis and also highly recommend. So I think it's safe to say that Mark has an outstanding resume, and we're very excited to have him on the show. So let's bring him in now. So, hey, Mark, welcome to the show. And how's it going? Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was a very generous introduction. I feel a little bit of pressure there with the perfect guest, but I'll try my best. So thanks for that. Yeah, it's going okay. I think, you know, as we were talking before, um, not ignoring the elephant in the room about kind of lockdowns and COVID. Everyone seems at candor, to be honest, in surprisingly high spirits, which is great. Um, but we've just been doing our best basically to, you know, help out our clients that have um, obviously had to change what they're doing with lockdowns and other people, as you know, are um, actually kind of, you know, their businesses has improved. So it's a mixed bag, but as I say, I'm quite kind of positive for this year, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's great to hear. So thank you for the update. I think I gave our listeners a solid introduction to you, but could you quickly tell us maybe how long you've been in SEO and why you founded Kanda? I've been doing SEO in some capacity now for close to 17 years. So I'm 37 now. I started uh, doing SEO and this is, I guess, related to why I enjoy it. Um, I started building websites when I was quite young, like 15, 16, 17. And I think it was when I was about 17, 18, I built my first kind of big site, which is this uh, local music site. And it had on it this Amazon uh, web store. And just by complete chance, after it being kind of live for a year or two, I started noticing I was making 20, 30, 50, 80 pounds a day from this affiliate store, people buying DVD players and stuff. And I was like, how, you know, how is this happening? And I had a friend who was a bit more web savvy than me at the time, helped me look at, I think it was AW stats. So this is pre-Google Analytics. And we found that, hey, traffic was coming from search engines. And that started my journey of, oh, okay, this is really interesting. How do they work? And hand in hand with that, you know, I said, I used to do a lot more website development. Don't do so much development now. SEO is a really interesting mix of different disciplines. You know, there's sort of a lot of traditional marketing concepts in there. There's psychology, there's these technical elements we're going to be talking about today. So it's a really varied field and things move very quickly and there's no guarantees. So it's always nice, you know, when you're doing all this hard work and you see a site, you know, jump from 10th in Google, you know, to to first or whatever, that's 
to me like a real kind of kick, if you like that, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction if I do things like coding, but that's almost like a, almost like a gambling in a way, I guess, you know, when you, when you put it all down and you actually get the results you're after. You asked me a few questions in one here, so I'm trying to sort of reel them out. So Kanda um, has been going about seven years now. I worked uh, at three agencies previously that were quite well known. I joined Kanda about uh, where we're now four years ago. So I wasn't actually an original founder of Kanda. When I joined, it was called something else as well, and they just did web design. So we've expanded that now out to do, to do digital marketing, so SEO and PPC. And the reason it's called Candor and the whole kind of emphasis behind it is that having worked at agencies for so long, I know they can be very stressful sometimes places to work. And we feel that's because a lot of agencies are very focused on growing X percent per year, whereas we are very focused on a quality of life principle for our staff, you know, being able to finish on time. We've got a profit share for every member of staff, you know, and this isn't some abstract share scheme. They get cold, hard cash, you know, from profit that we make at the end of the year. And it's really about only working with clients that, you know, have realistic expectations, have budgets and are, you know, in, in some way, uh, you know, someone we can get on with. And that translates to, you know, in 2020, we had zero staff turnover. Everyone stayed. We grew. I truly think to do a good job for clients that we need happy staff. So that's a lot of what I focus on. Um, and as you mentioned at the beginning, kindly introduction, you know, we've actually got more than one, but we've built tools like also asked that are enabling us to diversify our business model. So we're not hundred percent reliant on client incomes, which means we can be a little bit more picky maybe. And that's a fortunate situation to be in than, than other agencies. But I think the end product is more quality for clients and just a happier life for everyone overall, which is what we want, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think happiness at work is so important and has a huge impact on success. So I'm conscious of time. So let's dive in to some tech SEO questions and get started. So I think the words technical SEO can be quite intimidating to generalist marketers and business owners that wear a lot of hats. I know that there are lots of factors, but could you quickly break it down for us and maybe Explain the importance of getting things right with your technicals. It's probably useful to start with a rough definition of technical SEO. It makes it a lot less kind of frightening. For me, technical SEO is about bridging the gap in the shortcomings of search engines. So search engines have to understand your website and your content if they're going to be able to rank it accurately. Now, because the technologies used to build websites and show content to people are changing quickly and evolving, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. There's definitely a trend in uh, them getting more complicated, certainly with platforms using lots of things like JavaScript and stuff to do fancy things in our browsers to make things look nice for users. Technical SEO is principally the discipline of making that understandable to a search engine. And it does get overlooked sometimes because as a user, it can be completely invisible. So to give you an example, if you have, say, an e-commerce site that has a couple of different versions of your site for the UK, for Australia, for America, and you might have different pages or sections of your site for that, there's a specific tag that you can give search engines to allow them to differentiate between the English US version, the English Australian, and the English UK version. And that indicates to them which version they should rank in google.com, .com.au, .co.uk. And without that tag, 
it's very difficult for search engines to work out because the language is pretty much the same, except, you know, if it's in the US, the barbaric missing of U's in lots of words, it's very similar. So that's completely invisible to users. You know, those tags, users never see them. And that's, for instance, something very common that I've come across for sites that haven't done any SEO and they are suffering because of that because maybe they have a UK website, people are doing searches in the States and their UK version is coming up with the product listings in pounds sterling. So people in the US immediately click off because they think they can't buy it. So there's definitely this kind of overlooked case there. And if you were to break it down, the main aspects are can search engines from the very basics even see our content? And then there's the next step of, is it optimal? So that example of a tag I gave you is the kind of, can we make it any better? So they can see it, but how can we help them? So I think that's a fair kind of overview of where you'd start with SEO and what a definition of technical SEO is. Yeah, awesome. I think that was a, a nice starting point for the episode. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on when it's appropriate to focus on technical SEO. So is it something that smaller or newer sites should even be considering? Um, should they focus on it straight away or can they put it on the back burner? And if they do do that and to sort of delay things, could that potentially put them up at risk of running into major issues in maybe six, 12 months time down the line if it's forgotten about or maybe if they grow a lot quicker than anticipated? So you need to, at minimum, have some understanding of where you are with your technical SEO. So in a worst case scenario, I've seen websites that are completely blank to Google because they require JavaScript. Um, and if, if you don't have JavaScript on, it just says this app requires JavaScript. And Google can kind of deal with that, but it will struggle and it will definitely impede um, your progress depending on your site. So you need to at least have a basic understanding of where you are. Now, if you're on well-known platforms, something like maybe Shopify or Wix, a lot of these have those basics built in. Not saying they're optimal, but you're not going to have a catastrophic start like that. The healthiest way to think about your technical SEO is that it is an amplifier for all of your other efforts. Okay. So if you are doing digital PR, for instance, the impact, and I mean in all aspects, I mean in terms of you ranking, and I mean in terms of your bottom line, how much money you make is going to be amplified by good technical SEO. Because from the technical standpoint, when people are talking positively about your website, about your brand online, they're linking to you, you're getting some form of equity, if you like, from search engines for that. How you use it, how efficiently you use it is dependent on your technical SEO. So my answer is, you know, what if it's a new site? What if it's a big site? What if it's a small site? Is I think as a general rule, you could say for large websites, technical SEO scales better. So you get more immediate value. So if you have a million pages and you make one improvement to a template that is serving a million pages, you get that improvement throughout the site. If you've got 10 pages, the difference will be minimal. So I think we'll cover later, maybe if we get into detail, what those things are. But even with a small site, you need to make sure it's crawlable, indexable, which means Google can understand it. And if you are going to invest in SEO, you should definitely look at the technical stuff first because the technical jobs should be pretty much finite in nature, meaning you do an audit, you have a list of things, prioritized things, which you look at, you might decide only to do the high priority things because they'll get the best value. But then that's kind of it. 
you know, you will need to check back in and there's things you need to monitor depending on the site, but I would always do that before I start spending money doing other things um, and putting content on your site because I've seen lots of common technical mistakes that have completely hindered other efforts. Yeah, some really interesting things to take away from your answer there. You mentioned common mistakes, which I'm going to come back to later and ask you about. But I wanted to focus next on how to get started, first of all. So is it as simple as just running a site audit and going through the suggestions with your dev team? Or are there other things that we might want to do beforehand or prioritize instead? If you're going to embark on tech SEO, the first thing you have to do is an audit because you need to know what issues you have. So the general process is if we do an audit for someone, we'll use a, a variety of tools to do that, to give us information. We'll then put those, that information we get into context to the site and prioritize them and validate them. So prioritizing and validation is really important. Prioritization is around if we change this, what impact will it have? coupled with how difficult is this change? How long is it going to take? What is it going to cost? So when we do audits, once we've completed that audit, everything's prioritized by these two things. And then it will give you your prioritized list. So obviously at the top will be high impact things that are low effort. And at the very bottom are things that probably won't change anything. And they're a massive pain and will take weeks to accomplish. What I would say about SEO audits is to be very frank, if you are not comfortable doing technical SEO, then do not do a site audit yourself. There are all kinds of site audit tools out there. None of them are particularly helpful without the understanding and context for what they're telling you. Lots of tools will flag false positives. Tools can only give you a guess as to the priority of issues because they don't understand your business and the context to that. If I was to recommend any kind of auditing tool and people do want to kind of have a go at it, uh, my advice would be to try one called Sitebulb, which is at sitebulb.com. They've got a free trial. Um, you don't need to put a credit card in or anything. And they that tool, why I recommend that tool in particular, is when it does the audit for you, it tries to explain what the issues are and give you the caveats for the false positives. And aside from that, if you are kind of looking after a site from a technical perspective, point of view ongoing, there's tools such as Little Warden, which will basically check your site 24-7 to see if things change or break, which nobody thinks will happen, but I promise you it does. And if you don't catch it, a cure is far more expensive than prevention. Yeah, cool. I think um, that's going to give listeners a solid place to start. And thanks for sharing Sitebulb and Little Warden with us. I'll include links to them in the show notes alongside anything else that you mention. And following on from that question then, so I work in B2B at Reach and our site is pretty small. We only have a few hundred URLs and we might update our blog content once or twice a week, for example. So I'd be looking at different things compared with, let's say, a large e-com site that has thousands of product pages and might be using things like faceted navigation. Does that mean that we should be looking at different areas of improvement or can tech SEO be treated as one approach fits all for everyone? Yeah, generally, I mean, you'd, you'd take the same approach with an audit, but what would happen is the issues would be prioritized differently. And this is actually where those automated tools will fall down because they won't be able to tell you this kind of nuanced information. So if you have an e-commerce site with 100,000 pages or say a million pages, things you might be looking at are, as you say, faceted navigation, 
crawl budget management, which is making sure because Google only look at a limited number of your pages, if you've got a massive site, it's going to the right pages. You would be focusing on things like internal linking or big sites like that, because those changes will be impactful and their scale. If you've got a smaller site of a few hundred pages, the things you need to focus on first, so you mentioned content there. So I would say looking at content structure. So a really common thing I see is people writing evergreen content that is content that's going to be relevant for years and they just stick it in like a blog or news section. And then in 12 months time, it's five clicks away in the March 2020 category. Users can't find it. Search engines aren't going to rank it. And the other thing is looking at opportunities such as schema. So you've got a B2B site. People are probably going to be asking questions. Uh, so schema is like structured data to label information on your website. And an example of that is there's a thing called FAQ structured data, where you can specifically say to search engines, this is a question and this is the answer to that question. And the benefit you get from that is when someone does a related search, you probably would have seen them in Google. You get these what are called rich results, which is apart from your website listing, you get an additional box that shows the questions and those answers. It pushes your competitors down, gets you more clicks, shows you as an authority. And I've really struggled to say this with SEO, but those are quick wins, quote unquote that you can do that tend because they, the result of them tend to be quite quick. Um, so yeah, it's definitely applicable to both, but you'll just focus on different things. Yeah, really great answer. And I'm sure that you've given listeners from both B2B and B2C something to go away and think about. So I have two more questions for you. The first one is about mistakes, which we mentioned earlier. Are there any common mistakes that you see websites making? And do you have any examples that you can potentially share with us? Sure. Well, there's so many to choose from. <laughs> so for, for smaller sites, I guess this is, I guess it's less of a technical SEO mistake and more of a kind of like the content structure, which we were talking about, which is when someone says, I would like to rank for this search term. One of the things I say to him is, okay, show me which page on your website you want that to rank for. And if they can't answer that, or if they say, well, it's this page or this one, then we know we've got a technical problems. So if someone searches for a single search term, having clearly in your mind which page you think is most relevant for that is very important. A common issue we get, especially with content, is they might have three or four or five different pages that are kind of about the same thing. And then you've got this technical challenge of, well, Google's wondering which one it should rank. And there's lots of ways you can kind of combat that. But that's one thing I see people doing poorly on smaller sites. On larger sites, um, something you actually mentioned earlier about things like faceted and filtered navigation, especially on e-commerce sites, you know, generally there's this rule of thumb. If you're having to use drop-down boxes, for instance, to get to certain category pages, Google's not going to do that. It's not going to mimic user interaction. So actually, sometimes important, helpful pages are not accessible to search engines. So that's something we commonly come across. And when you get into the nuances of you know, user experience and search engines, it can actually become quite complex to come up with a simple, effective solution to those kind of filtering and categorization problems. But there are two things on two different types of sites that I, I see regularly we have to deal with. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm really glad that you were able to share an example from both a small site and big website. So I'm going to close out the main section with a talking point that was quite popular a few weeks ago, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So Louise Parker, who is the PR director at Propellernet, put out a tweet on the 23rd of January, so almost a month ago now, which was all about the rising popularity of digital PR and link building. A quick spoiler alert, so Louise is actually going to be our guest on the show next week. 
complete coincidence. It wasn't planned on the back of that tweet, but anyhow. So what happened is Louise tweeted and John Mueller from Google responded to her. And what John said was, he loves some of the things that digital PR is doing. It's a shame that it often gets bucketed with spammy link building tactics, but it's just as critical as tech SEO, probably more so in many cases. And of course, the SEO and PR community has been talking about it heavily. So I'm interested to get your thoughts, Mark, on that comment. Is it something that we should take seriously or should SEOs continue their routine as normal? What a great question. So I feel like a little bit like that scene in Reservoir Dogs where everyone's pointing guns at each other. So, I mean, from, from my point of view, all of those things are required for a good SEO campaign. As I said, technical SEO is just one facet of SEO. And as I said, it's actually finite. So in terms of the clients we work with, we spend a lot more time over a year doing content, digital PR, kind of what I would say is link building activities. Now, what you'll see is, and you'll hopefully see this when, when, um, when you have this conversation, is you'll see many SEO people saying, and many digital PR people saying, digital PR is not SEO in that the main goal of digital PR is not SEO focused. That's not the outcome. However, there's lots of things that digital PR does that bleed over to help SEO, such as, you know, they mention your brand and Google gets a better idea in their knowledge graph of who you are and what you do. And a lot of the time you'll get links from it. Um, And we know lots of links from top media sites now have this no follow tag on, which means they're not vouching for you in terms of Google. But then Google last year rolled out the change where they said, well, we might just ignore if there's a no follow tag, if we, if we judge it to you know, be what we think is a legitimate link. I think digital PR, to me, is a vital element in a lot of cases, as John says, of ranking well. I think it needs to be used in conjunction with other SEO strategies around getting your website kind of seen and to the right people. So digital PR to me is focused around kind of publications, media, news, whereas there's a whole other place, for instance, even if you're B2B of community type websites where you want to get your content in front of those people, in front of your end consumers, and naturally they'll link to you as well. Um, So I think it's a really interesting question. Anyone I think that really joins one of those corners too much is probably a little bit blinkered or speaking from bias. So I, I welcome all of those things. Yeah, great answer. And I think very balanced too. It'll definitely be interesting to see how digital PR and SEO work together moving forward. And I'll be looking forward to asking that same question to Louise next week. So we're going to wrap up the main section of the episode right here. So we'll be closing out the episode with two quick and fun questions that I'll be asking to Mark. So stay tuned for a few more minutes. So the closing section of every episode includes two very quick questions that I like to ask our guests. So my first question is, do you have a fun or memorable story that jumps out when you look back on your career? It could be something that makes you laugh, a career highlight or something embarrassing, for example. This is a story that happened maybe when I was 22, 23. I just started in my first agency job in marketing, quite junior, working on SEO and PPC, a local agency. We had a national food brand working with us and we were invited to the meeting essentially where they were going to dump us for a big London agency that cost 10 times as much. And this is when I learned that even if you're new and you're starting, you're a smaller agency, you don't need to be afraid of anyone else kind of sort of intimidating you with their knowledge because we sat in this meeting and uh, they were reviewing our PPC kind of strategy, which I thought was very solid. 
And one of the London agency chaps just leant across the table and said, well, have you tried ambush tactics? And I was sort of like, I've got no idea what that is. I'm kind of nervous. I'm really, I don't know what that is. And so I just said, what do you mean? And we were working with a food brand at the time and they answered, well, for instance, you should be bidding on things like otter in Google. So when someone types otter, it's an incredibly cheap keyword, but then they'll see the ad and you'll ambush them. Obviously, knowing how Google Ads works is just a terrible idea. And I was just too shocked even to reply. I think I just stared at him blankly before they took the account away from us. And just reflecting back, I wish I'd had the wherewithal just to kind of call him out on what an awful idea that was. So don't just because you're working, competing with big agencies, big companies necessarily think that, you know, they're going to run rings around you. There's a, there's a lot of weird things happening in the industry. <laughs> That's definitely one of the funniest stories that I've heard lately. Um, I wasn't quite sure where it was going when you started, but the outcome was pretty funny. And I'm sure it'll make all of our PPC listeners laugh. So my final question is, do you have a favorite marketing or business resource that you use on a regular basis? It could be an SEO uh, resource or something different, uh, maybe a newsletter, a blog, a podcast or something like that. Yeah, there's three and they're all newsletters um, that I really love. The first one is uh, Elena Solis. Her SEO FOMO newsletter comes out every Sunday, really detailed perfect for me SEO PVC news. Number two is the TLDR marketing newsletter, which is too long, didn't read. And that's why I love it because I'm really busy and it just gives me like single sentence reviews of what's going on. And the third one is new, which is the women in tech SEO newsletter published by Riz Jabouali, who founded uh, Women in Tech SEO. So if you are listening to this um, and you are a woman, someone identifies as a woman, you want to get involved in tech SEO, check out Women in Tech SEO. It's an amazing community. They've been mentoring people, um, had big events, really absolutely lovely people. Yeah, some really cool uh, resources there to close out the episode. I'll include the sign-up links in our show notes if you want to check them out. And finally, before we close out the episode, Mark also shares daily tips on LinkedIn, which are called unsolicited SEO tips. He has over 400 and counting, which is a very large number and you can read through all of them on the Candor website. So I'll post a link to that too, because it's a wonderful resource hub if you want some quick SEO tips. So we're going to wrap up the episode here. Thank you for being an awesome guest, Mark. I know it's difficult to fit tech SEO into a 15 minute chat, but I think you gave us a really great starting point and some things to think about. Lovely. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for joining us and giving up your time. So to everyone listening, thanks for the support. I really appreciate it. We'll be back next Wednesday where I'll be joined by Louise Parker to chat about digital PR and how to get press attention. So have a great week and we'll see you then.